Last week we were in chapter 11 of Genesis, and the next portion of this Jesus, of the Genesis story is really, really exciting. Uh, there's a lot packed into like three verses of Genesis 12, and it's an incredible passage. It's almost like the, the entirety of the rest of Scripture has to pass through this tiny funnel of Genesis 12.3. Um, and because of that, I've made choices about our service today. Everything we've done so far has been important, and I wouldn't want it to do any, anything differently. But because of that, I'm not going to dedicate the time necessary to Genesis 12.3 that we need to. Instead, today, I'm, I'm doing more of a review and more of an application of what we've already studied. Does Genesis have anything tangible or relevant to what we've done here today? In light of what we've done here today, is it really important to even look at a book that is, is thousands and thousands of years old and people with a lot of initials after their name still argue about whether it's even true or whether it's a myth or whether it's someone else's religion we've borrowed and co-opt? And I would say that that answer is yes. It is absolutely valid. This morning, as part of our, our, our um, review, I've... I'm going to use the outline of the Bible Project. Is that up there? Good. I'm going to use the outline of the Bible Project. And, um, and this is for all of us who are visual learners and probably have, right now, you're probably reading um, like a graphic comic in your, in your e-book instead of listening to me. So you can come up here right now, right? So, uh, and so you can see that it's the, they do, they're the ones we've used their videos before also, the Bible Project and all. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take this little section here and we're going to um, go through. And so first of all, uh, point one, the, the point. Larry, you want to move it forward? The very first one is right here. The point of this part of Genesis we've been in so far is, is, is overviewing God and the world. God keeps, us, keeps giving us a chance and we, live, and we live in a good world made bad. And then the other part of that big story is that Hope for a wounded victor to defeat evil at its very source. Go ahead, Larry. Next one. And then he goes from the very first part of it, obviously, is the creation. Disorder and darkness. God takes disorder and darkness and he gives, it, he gives it life. He gives it form. He breathes into it. A tree of life. Humans. And these humans are given very God's own image. They are his image bearers. And they were supposed to reflect God's character. And they have representatives of God's rule here on earth. And they are given blessing. And they're given one instruction, one area that is their choice, this one thing they're told not to do. And that is to go and eat from that tree. And so the next part of our story that we go forward here is that they eat from the tree and the fall comes into place. Satan has tempted and they take that temptation they follow through with it. And the next thing that happens is immediately there is there is blame shifting. There is guilt. There is shame. And the promise is made in, Gen- in Genesis chapter 3.15 about the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. I will crush the head of the serpent while the serpent will bruise the heel of the man. In other words, right there, that is, it, it, God just says, everything has just gone south in this story. Everything has. But you want to know something? I have a plan. And in that plan... I will ultimately have the utter defeat over you, Satan. And you'll think for a moment that you've won. But it's only a bruise. It will go away. 
And what happens in this story is mankind does just spiral down further and further and further. Um, you know, the sons kill one another. Uh, Abel, Cain, Lamech, they just, they continue to just, every intent of their heart is evil is how the scripture describes it. And so the sons of God, evil angels. And I would just say right there that in this part of Scripture, when it talks about the Nephilim, there are those who would say that the Nephilim were, were Satan's intention to pollute or corrupt the, the, the line of man so that he could thwart the seed of the woman. And that evilness is finally judged in the flood. And there is a promise given there, the, the, the rainbow And then Noah and his children, again, Ham rises up and tries to usurp authority. And in doing so, he suffers judgment. And there's another promise in that. And then the next thing that happens in chapter 11, we just just studied, is the Tower of Babel. Man is supposed to spread himself out over the face of the earth and take that image of God with him and go out. But instead, what he does is he stops and he says, I'm not interested in God's image. I'm interested in making a name for myself. Let's build a name for ourselves. God intervenes. And he scatters all of mankind and separates their tongues. The very next slide here is that this, now we've come to this place in Genesis where God's plan is to rescue and bless his rebellious people through Abraham's family. Through Abraham's family, one man he's chosen to do this with. Go for one more slide, please. And here, God has called Abraham and he says, In you, all families of the earth will be blessed. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. That's where we're going to be looking more fully next week. So here we are. We have creation. We have image. We have tree. We have a snake. We have a fall. We have shame and guilt and hiding. And we have judgment and a promise. Two sons, murder, Nephilim, the evil intent of man's thoughts, Lamech. Meanwhile, Seth and Enoch and Methuselah and Noah run side by side of the evenness of man, there's rain in a boat, there's judgment and a promise and a rainbow. Ham, Shem, and Japheth, the wine, the drinking, the look, that intentional look, the usurp of Ham, of, of Noah's authority by his son Ham. There is again judgment and promise. Nine generations from Noah to Abraham, and then again there's another promise. You see, there is a continuing theme that is running through chapter 11. First of all, it is man's rebellion, God's judgment, and God's promise to redeem. Another theme runs through here is Satan's attempt to corrupt God's creation and to corrupt God's plan. Another theme running through here is man's attempt to make a name for himself by exerting, I will eat from the tree whether you tell me to or not. You know, I will make a name for myself, whether you tell me to me or not. Man's continual attempt to make a name for himself, to rebel, to rebel, and to exalt himself above God. And God's uninterrupted plan for the seed of the woman to bear a child that would defeat Satan and redeem mankind back to himself. In Adam, there's the line of Seth leading to the blameless man Noah, And then there's the line of Shem leading to the man called by God, who is Abraham. We learn a lot about God in these chapters in Genesis. He's creative, obviously. There's the stars. 
There's the universe. There's the streams, the deserts, the mountains. His ultimate creation is mankind. He says, let us make in our image man. He creates mankind. We learn that he is, desires relationship. In Genesis 1.26, he says, let us make an hour. He is in relationship with himself already. And he creates man and he desires relationship with that man. We read about it in Genesis 3 where he comes to walk in the garden and he calls out to where are you? And then finally in, in Genesis 5.12, he's talking about walking with Enoch. This is a God who desires relationship with his, his creation and seeks it out. We see that he is just. In our day and age, and not just ours, but all of mankind has always longed for per- perfect justice. A judge that knows the difference between right and wrong and, and won't be swayed by power, money, influence, or reputation. And our God, this God of Genesis, he demonstrates his just nature by not allowing man to escape the punishment he deserves. He does that. He does it in the garden. He does it leading up to chapter 6 with the flood. He does it again leading up to chapter 9 10 with the Tower of Babel. In each of those cases, he is just. Man has sinned. There is punishment. But there's also always, always, always mercy in the most perfect, balanced way. Mercy. Even though he dispensed judgment and punishment on man, he has always had a plan for mercy for man. He reveals it in chapter 3, verse 15, where he speaks of the seed of the woman. Again, he sets aside Noah, and the seed of the woman goes through Noah, through his son Shem, and then more is revealed in the promise of Abraham, that all of mankind would be blessed through Abram. Now, you remember... And maybe some of you adults are doing this right now. You remember as a kid when you would say, you just wait until your father gets home. And all that does, and that's worse than your father ever coming home. And your mother is hoping that dad comes home really late and that all day long you suffer with the agony of what's going to happen when he comes through that door. The very exact Reverse is what's happening in Genesis 1 through 12. Just wait until Jesus comes home. Just wait. Just wait. It will be absolute joy. It will be absolute justice. It will be absolute mercy. All the sin, all the sorrow, all the sadness all the brokenness will be gone, 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 gone. Just wait until Jesus comes home today. And Genesis 1 through 12 is saying, he is on his way. He is on his way. Just wait. That's why Genesis is important today. Because we need the hope that he'll bring and that he did bring and that he does bring today. That's why Genesis is important today. The fulfillment of the promise of Jesus. Abraham points to the cross. When God says that I will bless all nations through you, 
in that statement, he is pointing to the cross. And that promise casts a long shadow. That promise in Genesis 3, it casts a shadow that spans through the rest of this book and spans through thousands and thousands and thousands of years. That shadow falls across this room today. That shadow falls across each and every one of us today. And it falls across us in the shape of a cross. And it falls across us and it gives us hope to any who look upon it with trust in the death of Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Sorrow, suffering, separation are all temporary things. Things that Scripture says are light and momentary when compared to what is to come. When Jesus arrives, all that will fade to black. When the promise of Genesis is fulfilled in Christ, it is no more. Admittedly, there is a bitterness and a groaning in these days, in the waiting for him to come, in that ancient promise to become more than faith, but to become our reality. So today, we grieve with one of our own and for his loss, because it is our loss. And we struggle with all the brokenness of our bodies, in our hearts, in our minds, in our relationships, in our workplaces, that brokenness that is found underneath every rock and crevice. But if the shadow of that ancient promise, if the shadow of Genesis 12.3 falls across that brokenness, it is only for a moment. It is only for a moment. Better things are coming. They've been coming from that ancient day in creation when God spoke of the seed of the woman. And we look on with great anticipation of the fulfillment that is yours and mine and promised by the great promise keeper. If there's anything we take from Genesis 12, 1 through 12, it is that he is not only a great creator, he is a great promise keeper. And that the promises he made to redeem mankind, to redeem the world, are promises he will keep. And the promises he made to give peace and sorrow are promises he will keep. The ancients of days is still keeping promises made at the beginning of time. The mercy he extended then, he extends this day to this room to any and all who are grieving. Folks, don't be fooled. Don't think that peace, that wholeness, that escape from pain, sorrow, brokenness can be found in anything but the promised seed of the woman that it can be found in anything other than Jesus Christ and the hope that he offers. Genesis is important because it is there that we meet our generous, just, faithful, merciful God whose fullness is expressed in the bloody, wretched cross where his son died for you and I. There's not a one of us in here. Not a one of us who wishes something was different. Who is not struggling with a sorrow, a brokenness of some kind or another. But in Christ, that will pass. In Christ, he promises peace beyond comprehension. And the shadow of the cross fall upon you 
as you trust him with that, knowing that one day it will be no more. And one day we will be with him. And one day all of this will fade to black as he fulfills his promise to his people. In the darkness of sorrow, the brilliant light of Christ shines for all who would fall upon it and see it. May that be true for each and every one of us today in this room. And if not, make it true in your life by placing your faith in Christ, even now. Let's pray. Father, we are hard-pressed. At times. And while there are so many other things that distract us and take our attention away from the things of life, the things that are important, there are times such as this when there is nothing more important than looking at you and looking for you and finding you to be the promise keeper that you are. We pause and just thank you for who you are, for what you did, for what you're doing, for what you're still going to do. Where would we be without you? We thank you and we praise you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.